I want to talk with you today more about how the gospel enables us to form meaningful, healthy, loving relationships. And my text today is from 1 Peter 1, 17 through 25. 1 Peter 1, 17 through 25. What we'll talk about today is the obstacles that we have as human beings that we share with humanity as a whole, even as Christians, uh, because we are still part of the human condition, even though we are in redemption, we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. We are in the process of redemption. We're in the process of fully realizing our union with Christ. Consequently, we still have issues, and, and today particularly, I want to talk with you about developmental immaturity. I want to talk to you about the obstacles that those pose to our ability to form and maintain healthy, loving relationships, but that which you can overcome, you, which you can overcome through the gospel and through some skills and some um, uh, tools that I will give you to help you identify and overcome those obstacles so that you can enjoy greater meaning in your relationships and they can be healthier and more meaningful and more in line with the will of God for you. So, let's begin with our text. 1 Peter 1, 17 through 25. <clears throat> Quote, If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ." For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fall off, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. End quote. Well, Peter here is giving us a very sober reminder that we have been brought into union with Jesus Christ, that we are in this blessed state. He says in verse 3 of chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected 
by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. End quote. Now that is what God has accomplished on your behalf in his son. And so now you address as father the one who impartially judges. And he's speaking there of a, of a broad general state that God judges all of humanity according to each one's work. And he's exhorting us who call upon the one uh, that one as father, especially now, to conduct ourselves in this godly, reverent fear during the time of our stay here on earth. What, he, what Peter is telling us here is that there are certain ways of living, thinking, and behaving, particularly in our relationships with one another, for which God will hold us accountable. Let me say that again. Peter is telling us that there are certain ways of thinking and living, particularly in our relationships with one another, that are our holdovers from the old life in Adam that we must be free from, for God will hold us accountable for them. That's why he says that we are to conduct ourselves in fear during the time of our stay here on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from what? Your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. So there's a way of thinking, a way of living that is futile, that does nothing but create chaos, pain, and misery in our lives especially in our relationships, but from which we are redeemed, that we have been redeemed. We are experiencing a progressive realization of that redemption. And that redemption is precious. That God gave us the precious blood of his own son as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless. See, this is where we're headed. We've been redeemed by the unblemished and spotless Lamb of God in order that we too may be unblemished and spotless through the blood of Christ. Now, we're far from that now, aren't we? But we're more than we were. We are that positionally. We are that before God. We are unblemished and spotless because we are in his unblemished and spotless son. But we are also progressively realizing that more and more in our conduct, our way of thinking, our way of feeling, our way of expressing ourselves, particularly in our relationships with one another. Verse 20, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. This is not a new thing. It has always been God's purpose, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We now have hope. We once were hopeless. Now we have hope because God has raised him from the dead. Because God can do that, he can do it for us too. We are in union with Christ. But listen to verse 22 carefully. Since you have in obedience to the truth 
purify your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. See, this is the fruit of the gospel. This is why I am maintaining very emphatically that the gospel fruit is healthy, loving relationships with one another. Since you have an obedience to the truth, being the gospel truth, purified your souls, for what? For a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. When you were in Adam, when you were in your sins, that was the last thing you knew how to do. But Peter is saying here that now that you have been born of the Spirit, you're in union with Christ, you call upon the one who holds us accountable, you call upon him as Father, knowing that he judges impartially, we are to conduct ourselves with reverence and respect for the redemption that's at work in us. Especially how that redemption plays out in our relationships. Fervently want love one another from the heart, for you have been born again, not a seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. This is a eternal state that you're in. God is never going to change his mind about this, so we might as well get it and understand it. And this is the word, he says in verse 25, which was preached to you. So, God does not give us the option to have anything less than loving, healthy relationships with one another. Now, let me be the first to say we can't force that on anyone. We can't force anyone to have loving, healthy relationships with us. But we can have loving, healthy relationships with them. We're even called to love our enemies. We love every one of our relationships to be reciprocal. And many will be. Most will be. But it's very important to understand that relationships require more than one person. By the very nature, relationship requires at least two people, and you can't control the other person. But you can take a loving, healthy stance towards them, regardless of how they respond to you. And again, we always hope that they will be reciprocal. But we can't force that. We can't make that happen. And people try to all the time. People try to control others, and that is the sick soul sickness we call codependence. And codependence is that, that part of the futile way of life from which we are being redeemed. It's part of what J.B. Phillips called in his book, Your God is Too Small, The Parental Hangover. So what I want to do now is I want to take our text and I want to make very specific, very important application to this major obstacle that still lingers within our unredeemed flesh that the therapeutic community has come to call codependence. Call it what you may. 
It's a brokenness within our flesh that would still haunt us. So I'm just going to move into that now. We're going to take our text and we're going to apply it by looking at this futile way of life that God, now listen very carefully, God does not give you the option of not doing anything about. That's the point of our text. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, we are instead to conduct ourselves in fear during the time of our stay here on earth. We are, supposed, we are not to ignore those things from which we have been redeemed as if we can continue to walk in them without with him or with impunity that will not happen we are there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ but we still have a heavenly father who will discipline us so my brother or sister please understand that being free from codependence this broken soul sickness that lingers in our flesh after we are in Christ is not an option. It's something we need to identify and be rid of. So long before the therapeutic community developed language for this universal human condition that we now call codependence, the Bible addressed this aspect of human brokenness. We are to understand that the gospel produces healthy, loving relationships. There is resistance. In fact, I'm always surprised at how many Christians will tell me, well, what you really mean, Rick, is that, that the gospel should produce healthy, loving relationships. You see how this goes? You see how unbelief enters our thinking? And we dismiss it, we minimize it, we set it aside, we set aside healthy, loving relationships in the gospel as if somehow that's an ideal that, that very few people actually realize. It should happen, but it doesn't happen. What? Now, we would never say that. We would never say, you know, the cross of Christ should atone for us. That would be shocking unbelief. We would never say, we should believe in Jesus as the incarnate Son of God. We, we must. <laughs> that's, that's a core aspect of our faith. So, what is tragic is that the modern church lags behind in their understanding of our need to see the fruit of the gospel as forming healthy, loving relationships and be willing to identify and overcome those obstacles that are common to the human condition from which we have been redeemed positionally but have yet to be fully redeemed from practically. So what is tragic now is that the church lags behind on this. It's almost as if we've given up on Christianity being a source of power by which we develop healthy, loving relationships. It's almost getting to the point where fruitless Christianity has become the norm. We just accept it. 
And anything more than that we consider to be idealistic or Pollyannish. So in this lesson, in the balance of this lesson, I want to examine our fallen self and how that old self still clings to our thinking in our behavior in our relationships with one another and how to overcome that. For without a deliberate diagnosis and deliberate recovery, that condition we call codependence will affect our ability to grow up into mature followers of Christ. Emotional and spiritual maturity, while distinct, are inseparable. You can't grow up and to be a fully mature follower of Christ if you're still locked in to developmental immaturity. That's a simple truth. So, that's why our text, and that's why our Heavenly Father, doesn't give us the option of not dealing with these things. Okay. So, first, it is critical that you understand that codependence affects everyone. It is a universal human condition. And just because you've been through the waters of baptism, just because you're a member of the church, doesn't mean that you are fully free from that human condition. It's something you have to overcome. And this condition operates on a continuum from 1 to 10, with 10 being most severe. This condition carries universal patterns, which, thanks be to God, there's a universal solution in Christ. And that solution is to grow up. That solution is to identify it, understand it, contain it, repent of it, and then grow up, move into adulthood. So it is possible to overcome and recover from this deadly condition. Now, I refer to it as deadly with good cause. Codependence is a disease of the soul. The leading characteristic of which is our lust to control others. And we know from James 1.15 that when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully matured, it brings forth death. So this is serious business. Codependence, or call it whatever you want to. I call it developmental immaturity, actually. Is deadly. It's not to be trifled with. It creates chaos, pain, and misery, and then death. The best clinical definition I know of codependence is this, quote, the adult response to unmet develop developmental needs from affirmation, nurture, and guidance. Let me say that again. The adult response to unmet developmental needs for affirmation, nurture, and guidance. We refer to these things as needs because we do not, because if we don't receive them, I should say, the need for them doesn't go away. We must have them. We need affirmation, nurturing, guidance to grow up properly, to become functional adults. And in our childhood, in our developmental years, if we don't get affirmation, nurturing, guidance, but instead abandonment, abuse, and neglect, we suffer the ability to develop properly. These needs left unmet will only grow as hunger and thirst does in the body. You know, there's this fascinating, tragic study that was done after World War II of orphans in Europe. 
and there were so many orphans, and many of them were infants. They were still in the, the, the cradle. They were still in the crib. They were babies. There were so many of them that the charitable organizations could only feed them, could only ensure that they were fed, clothed, they got medicine and shelter. But they didn't have the time. They didn't have the numbers of workers to be able to hold them and nurture them and care for them. And many of those babies died, even though there had been interventions with food, clothing, shelter, and medicine. So this is nothing to be taken lightly. The human person needs nurture. We need physical nurture with other people. We need contact. We are social creatures. We are physical creatures. We need affirmation. We need physical and emotional and mental and spiritual nurture. And we need guidance. We need the help of others to know how to live life. No one can face life alone successfully. So we refer to these things as need be, needs because if we don't receive them, the need doesn't go away. Consequently, we cannot expect to simply outgrow our developmental needs. If we don't get them met growing up, and most of us don't, we, are, we leave childhood twisted, still looking to get those needs met, still looking for some adult, which we usually transfer to a romantic partner or some other person to meet those needs for us, a relationship that's not designed to do it. We get one set of parents I'll talk about that more in a minute. <clears throat> so every child has needs for affirmation, nurturing, guidance in order to develop into a functional adult. And to the degree that these needs go unmet, the child is traumatized. And this trauma stunts emotional development. And while emotional development and spiritual development are distinct, they are nonetheless inseparable. So codependence is therefore a most serious and deadly disease. Now, we have all known people in their 40s and 50s who acted like they were children or teenagers. Perhaps you've acted that way yourself at times. Perhaps you're still acting that way. Perhaps you're still demanding that the adults in your life parent you, give you unconditional regard, personal regard, unconditional affirmation, nurture, and guidance. And when they don't, you blow up, you get angry, you get resentful, you get victimized. That is a cycle of life and patterns in human relationships that is nothing but destructive. So let, let's, let's look closer now at the basic characteristics and causes of codependence so that you can identify how it's at work in your life. Because let me be the first one to tell you, maybe the first one to tell you, that they are there. They are operative. It's just a matter of where you're at on the continuum. It's part and parcel of the human condition. Okay. <clears throat> Number one, as stated above, codependence is a word used to describe a universal condition with universal patterns. It affects all of humanity, for all humanity has fallen. No one escapes. It is only a matter, then, of how severe the patterns are that defines difference, differences in individuals. Number two, our parents teach us how to bond with others by word and example. That's how God designed it. 
God designed our parents to be those who teach us how to do relationship. In a fallen world, that gets twisted, perverted, and becomes deadly. Those patterns get passed on. Patterns of chaos, pain, and misery within relationships. Control, issues of control and abuse get passed on. And later in life, most of us will marry what is familiar. Unconsciously, most of us. I mean, nobody goes into a relationship saying, oh, there's a perfect, dysfunctional, painful, lousy relationship that I can get married to. But we're all drawn to that. And that famous word xenophobia, where we're afraid of anything strange, means that we are drawn to that which is familiar. So we get married to what is familiar, we have children, and then we pass on those horrible patterns to our own children. So because all parents are imperfect, fallen creatures, their parenting will reflect that brokenness. This is why we say codependence is a universal condition with universal patterns. In fact, it's astonishing just how universal those patterns truly are. Okay, codependence itself is the term we use to describe the adult response to unresolved developmental trauma due to abuse, abandonment, and neglect. P.M. Melody, an expert in the field of codependence, states that developmental trauma occurs when the child experiences anything less than nurturing. This is how desperately we need nurture as we're growing up. Number four, a codependent is an adult suffering from unmet developmental needs, but lacking the skills to get those needs met in a healthy, responsible manner. Very important. Let me say it again. A codependent is an adult suffering from unmet developmental needs and lacking the skills to get those needs met in a healthy, responsible manner. Chronic emotional immaturity is a leading characteristic of codependence. Now, let me stress here. Children themselves cannot be codependent, for they are always acting their age. They are always dependent on the big people in their life. But when you're 40 years old, and you're still insisting on demanding things from people like affirmation, nurture, and guidance, and care that they don't have, are not under obligation to give you, and you're controlling them, and you're angry and resentful for them not doing that, that is codependence. Or when you're seeking to play God in another person's life. Or effectively asking another to play that role in your life. That's the essence of the codependent disease. It's what the literature of Codependence Anonymous calls the spiritual dilemma meaning that if you cannot have a spiritual awakening that you so desperately need to overcome codependence, why you're codependent. It's a, it's a horrible uh, paradox. So to recover from trauma, the trauma that produces codependence and addiction, by the way, most all addiction is a avoidance strategy to avoid the pain of codependence. One must attain and expand a legitimate spiritual awakening in Christ. But this necessary spiritual experience is impossible to attain as long as you're playing God in another person's life or asking another to play that role in your life. 
Now, theologically and biblically, we call that idolatry. Okay, I need to move along here. A codependent continues to take their cue as to how to care for themselves from their parental experience long after they leave home physically. They remain home emotionally. They continue to take, even to adulthood, their cue from how they should treat themselves, how they should care for themselves, based upon how they were treated and cared for growing up. So they don't leave home. Leaving home is a big part of growing up in Christ. So codependence destroys marriages as each partner fails to leave home and is therefore not available to cleave and weave to the other, to the spouse. And when the spouse is held responsible to provide the unmet needs not received during development, something he or she cannot do, and is not responsible to provide, it only creates conflict and chaos. Many times people say, well, that's just a bad relationship. I'm going to get a divorce and they move on to the next relationship and they've had the same patterns occur again and again. Some people have been on their third, fourth, and fifth marriage and they haven't figured it out yet that there's something going on. There's a common denominator in those situations and it's themselves. And I say that with all compassion. It's these, it's these patterns of relational futility that Peter talks about, that the futility that was of life that we inherited from our forefathers. Now, recovery then begins when we admit we are powerless over others and their life has become unmanageable. As simple as that. We then begin the task of taking responsibility for those wounded, adapted parts of ourself, releasing our loved ones, our spouses, and even society from having to do that for us. There are certain forms of government that encourage dependence instead of independence. Encourage people to be dependent upon the state instead of upon themselves and upon their interdependence upon their community. All they're doing is fueling the problem. So we have to take responsibility for ourselves, and particularly those wounded and adapted parts of ourselves that result from our lack of good parenting. And remember, nobody had good parent, perfect parents. So to the degree that we didn't, we suffered trauma. To the degree we suffered trauma as adults, we are acting out in some form of codependence, whether it's mild or severe. So we call this reparenting. The recovery looks like as reparenting. You call it whatever you want. If you don't like the word reparenting, call it just growing up. We must make emotional maturity a priority in our life because it takes hold and makes the way for spiritual growth as well. Remember, spiritual maturity apart from emotional maturity is impossible. You can't get spiritual enough to, to dismiss and overcome your emotional immaturity. It's pretty profound how that we've known these things throughout human history. We understood it. It's interesting, in 1 Corinthians 13, for example, Paul referred to it himself. He says... 
First uh, Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. That's the normal course of human development. But what I'm calling codependence today, and again, you call it whatever you want to call it, is that normal course of human development that Paul just described of himself there being stunted, being stopped. So instead of putting away childish things, we become men and women who continue to act like children, demanding, insistent, dependent, needy, angry, resentful, monster boys and girls, at least when it comes to our relationships. Now, let me close real quickly with five points that I can give you. These five characteristics that if you had grown up in a functional home would be operational in your life today. Okay? First one is self-care. You have to learn to make self-care your number one priority. Many, many years ago when I got out of treatment myself, the, the saying was, when all else fails, self-care. Take care of yourself. Remember, no one, your spouse, your parents, your friends, society, is responsible for taking care of you. You're an adult. Self-care is your responsibility. Healthy hygiene, healthy diet, moderate exercise, entertainment, sleep, fun, connecting with others. Those are all aspects of self-care. Number two, moderation. Children live in extremes. Listen to a baby cry. <laughs> Listen to a, uh, a, a little boy, a three or four or five-year-old, demand what he wants. He doesn't understand. He can't have five cookies before dinner. So we have to learn moderation. We don't swing between extremes. We learn to moderate our thinking, moderate our emotions, moderate how we speak, moderate how we express ourselves in our relationships with one another. We learn moderation. Third is boundaries, self-care, moderation, and boundaries. Now, let me say this very clearly, and I want you to hear me, please. Boundaries are primarily about self-containment. Self-care, moderation, boundaries, self-containment. They're not about how you can control and manipulate the outcome with others. Boundaries are not threats. Boundaries are simply stating your reality with a, within a contained, moderate manner. You're simply owning your own reality, and that's the next point, reality. Your own thoughts, feelings, needs, and wants. Children live in fantasies, don't they? It's okay when you're three or four years old to look in your children's book and think that animals talk. But if you're 40 years old and you're still doing that, there's a problem. You're not in reality anymore. So you have to come out of a haze of fantasy in your relationships, thinking that somehow one day you're going to find the perfect relationship that's going to meet all your needs perfectly and life ever everlasting will be fine. Life is not a romance novel, folks. It is reality. So you have to be in reality yourself with your own thoughts, feelings, needs, and wants, and you have to approach your relationships from a basis of that same reality. 
don't expect perfection out of people. They'll fail you every time. Treat people with dignity and kindness and respect. Treat your relationships with grace. Speak in ways that bring grace to your to the hearers, it says in the Bible. <clears throat> Be in reality. And then finally, of course, spirituality. So self-care, moderation, boundaries, primarily about self-containment, and reality. And finally, spirituality. Any unbeliever can become religious. <clears throat> it doesn't take anything but a work of the flesh to become religious. But spirituality occurs only for the regenerate. Only those who have spiritual life in them, in Christ, can be spiritual. Now, I mean healthy spirituality. Genuine, life-giving spirituality. Even unbelievers are spiritual in the sense that they are being driven by the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. So the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. People can be spiritual, but they're still lying in the power of the evil one. We don't want evil spirituality. We want healthy spirituality. And that's something only the Holy Spirit can bring us. And if you are in Christ and you have the Spirit dwelling in you, and he is your source of spiritual life and, and, and spirituality. So there you go. Self-care, moderation, boundaries, reality, and spirituality. So what I've told you today is that if you call on the one if you call as Father, if you refer to God as Father, if you address as Father, the one who impartially judges, that's God's stance toward the world, is that he, he impartially judges according to each one's work. We should conduct ourselves with a fear and reverence and respect for that reality by realizing that he has graciously redeemed us from a state of spiritual death and chaos, sin and misery, and from the futility of the way of life handed down to us by our forefathers. And we do not have the option. Let me say that again very strongly. We do not have the option not to overcome this thing called codependence in our life. This brokenness within our relationships. If you're uncomfortable with the word codependence, if you think that's psychobabble, you think that's some kind of um, therapeutic word, fine, don't use it. Call it whatever you want to. The Bible calls it a futile way of life handed down to you by your forefathers. Call it futility. Call it developmental immaturity. Call it whatever you want. Just identify it, repent of it, and hopefully take the tools that I've given you today, and I'm doing so, and begin the process of life of overcoming it. Remember, we are called to be overcomers. Jesus, the risen Christ, says repeatedly in Revelation 2 and 3, He who overcomes, he who overcomes. We are empowered, enabled by the Spirit, through the Word of God, to overcome these things. And we don't have the option, 
Our Father doesn't give us the option to be indifferent, only to overcome.